if you were to put an innovation hub in the back of a manufacturing plant, it's you get a little bit of mixed results because you've got a staff of production operators that are trying to make their shipments every day. You know, if you're shipping 5,000 camshafts to GM, you've got to do that day in and day out. So it becomes very hard to innovate because you're worried about doing your day job. By having a separate, very impressive facility, we're intentional with the innovation that we're trying to create here for Linamar. So out of 65 manufacturing plants globally, we are the only one that is solely dedicated to innovation in the pursuit of new things. Hello and welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode, Brendan and I are once again in Guelph, this time chatting with one of Canada's most preeminent automotive suppliers. That's right, in this episode, we're chatting with Linamar. On the mics that day were two new friends, Brett McQueen, their Director of Innovation, and Samila Kachaputi, their Innovation Lead. For those of you in manufacturing, you already know who Linamar is, and you know that they're an established name in Ontario's automotive manufacturing sector. In fact, I dare you to drive from Toronto to London on the 401 and not see at least one Linamar truck. From a simple, single-machine tool operating in Frank Hassenfratz's basement to the large Canadian multinational corporation employing over 28,000 people worldwide, Linamar has made its mark in Ontario. But in this episode, we weren't chatting about automotive component manufacturing, at least not directly. This episode was about Linamar's Vision 2100 and their innovation hub, or the iHub as they call it. And the purpose of the iHub is quite interesting. Here's why. Picture your favorite band growing up. In high school, mine was Metallica. Metallica was, and is, a well-established band. They've played to hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, worldwide. They know not only how to write songs, they know how to get people moshing. They know how to get people excited about their music. They know how to sell albums at scale. They know how to pack stadiums. They've been doing it for decades. Now, imagine you want to start a band too. You're small. You don't have a global following. You don't have access to Bob Rock to help you produce your next version of the Black Album. You can't fill a stadium, at least not yet, but you know your music is good and it's exactly what the world is looking for. Now imagine if Metallica lent you their guitarist, Kirk Hammett, to help you write amazing guitar solos. Imagine if they lent you Lars Ulrich to play drums as your drummer until you found your forever drummer. Imagine if you could get help writing songs from Big Papa James Hetfield. Oh, and by the way, they'll also go on tour with you as themselves to help you establish yourself as an artist. How cool would that be? Well, that's kind of what Linamar is doing with their iHub. Yes, both Metallica and Linamar work with heavy metal, hold for laughter, but Linamar isn't selling albums. As a large multinational, Linamar has advantages that smaller companies simply don't have. Instead of help with writing songs and solos, Linamar is helping these companies solve supply chain issues. Instead of helping with drumming, they're helping startups scale up their products. Linamar has always been an excellent corporate citizen in Ontario, so this type of initiative isn't exactly surprising. However, it goes beyond simple benevolence. As the need for internal combustion engine components declines in the coming years, Linamar wants to expand their manufacturing capabilities into areas of increasing importance, which is why the iHub is looking for innovations in six specific verticals. Mobility, infrastructure, food, medtech, power, and water. Linamar believes these six areas will continue to grow in relevance and want to get started early in developing these capabilities locally. Together with their academic and municipal partners, they've already made some headway. And by the way, 
If you're working in any of those fields and have some interesting tech you're working on, call Linamar. They want to hear from you. Oh, there we go. And now we're rolling. See? Told you nothing would change. I am here in a very cool boardroom. I've got Brendan Sweeney here, who I'm going to ask to lean forward and say hello. Good afternoon. Hello, Brendan. Hope you're doing well. And now we've got two new friends. Immediately to my left, sir, would you please introduce yourself? I'm Brett McQueen, Director of Innovation for Linamar here at our iHub in Guelph. Hello, Brett. Nice to meet you. And to my right. I'm Somila Kachapati, working as Innovation Lead for Innovation Hub. Hello, Somila. Hello, everyone. So... We are here today at Linamar, and we are we're having a, we're having an interesting conversation about manufacturing. Now, in our circles, everyone knows Linamar. We know what Linamar does. We know what they do. For the five or six people that maybe don't, let's start with a quick history of you know the company, uh, what you guys do, what you guys are uh, good at, things like that. All right. So Linamar is a global manufacturer located here in Guelph. We were actually founded in Guelph in 1966 by Frank Hassenfratz. We grew out of his basement where he had a single lathe that he automated with the gearbox from his wife's laundry or from her washing machine. So that was our first run at innovation because Frank could make it faster and better if he automated his process and it would also run if he wasn't there. So from there, he expanded to a three person shop and then we've now expanded all over the world where we employ 28,000 employees globally 28,000 28,000 with 12,000 here just in the Guelph area alone wow well I, I think Brendan and I can speak to personal experience every time we're on driving around the 401 how many times do we see Linamar trucks all the time yeah frequently yes very frequently so that's an interesting story about the innovation so innovation is is in your DNA it is right from day one. Being in uh, the automotive field, we have to be innovative with everything we do because we're not just competing in Guelph or in North America. We're competing internationally. Uh, there's been a big effort to offshore. We see that coming back now after the COVID pandemic, but we have to be every bit as competitive here in Guelph as we are with others in China and other places in the world. So let's talk about your 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 capabilities historically. I mean, you've, I, I, I've known you as an automotive supplier and that's pretty much been the, the bread and butter for a long time. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, about 70% of our current business is in the automotive landscape where we're making internal combustion engines. Uh, the other 70% is in the industrial and agriculture markets where we're active with Skyjack, Macdon and Salford. So here at the Innovation Hub, we're starting to help with the diversification of our portfolio, looking for new products that we can manufacture, startups and scale-ups that can leverage our expertise in supply chain and manufacturing to get their product into the market. So Brett, I want to talk just a little bit about automotive because I am a bit of a petrol head. Tell us about some of the innovations that you, that, uh, you and Linamar have, have uh, put forward in automotive over the years, because I think that's a, it's a very interesting story. Uh, it is. We we are highly automated, but we have also brought in other innovations such as the hydroformed camshaft, where you're actually, instead of starting with a forging, you're hydroforming a shaft to fit the cams, and then you grind it to match the timing afterwards. So that was a big innovation. Really? So that, that actually seems pretty intuitive to do. That wasn't always the way? The traditional way was you took a chunk of steel and you forged it into a camshaft, uh, with our approach, you take a solid or you take a hollow tube and you hydroform it so that your uh, cams actually squeeze that tube 
uh, instead of forging a solid piece of material. I remember the hydro. Can you tell us a little bit about hydroforming? I, we, we will talk about the more, the recent innovation, but that sounds like hydroforming is a really cool bit of tech, if you don't mind. It is, and it's a very old technology, but basically you would take a hollow tube and you would pressurize it from the inside using water, and you would expand it to match a die on the outside, which forms the shape, and then that's how you get your net shape using a hollow material rather than a solid. That's cool. So the building we are in today, tell us a little bit about this building, because I actually, I almost turned into your other location, which is uh, right off the street there. I mean, it's a big facility. We are in the iHub today, correct? Yes, we're at our innovation hub, or is as we affectionately refer to it, the iHub. So we have 50,000 square feet of manufacturing space, along with a dedicated support staff, where they're there to support our projects and our customers, our program managers, our engineers, supply chain, quality management. Everybody is dedicated to the product they're working on, so we're not sharing those resources with a plant. We are very intentional with the innovation that we are doing here, and we're supporting it with that staff. If you were to put an innovation hub in the back of a manufacturing plant, it's you get a little bit of mixed results because you've got a staff of production operators that are trying to make their shipments every day. You know, if you're shipping 5,000 camshafts to GM, you've got to do that day in and day out. So it becomes very hard to innovate because you're worried about doing your day job. By having a separate, very impressive facility, we're intentional with the innovation that we're trying to create here for Linamar. So out of 65 manufacturing plants globally, we are the only one that is solely dedicated to innovation and the pursuit of new things. I'm impressed by what you just said because uh, when doing business, everything has to have an ROI attached to it. And sometimes the ROI, there's not a direct, it's a bit of a crooked line to draw the ROI. Investing in something like innovation could be one of those things that it, it, it sounds soft, but I mean, I'm looking around this building and it's like, you guys have invested in this. If you could tell us about some of the ROI math, tell us about the, the ROI for people out there looking to innovate, but might think to themselves, okay, but that's just kind of a black hole and I'm just going to dump money. Tell us about some of the thinking that goes into that. So that's why our kind of our mantra here is commercializing creativity. It's great to have all kinds of creativity, but if you don't have the ability to take an action on that idea, it's not gonna sustain itself. So when we look at ROI here, we understand that our partners are small and they will grow over time, but that's why we're dedicating the resources to support them, because without that initial support, there is no long-term play. Our overall goal for the Innovation Hub is to have projects and products graduate to production facilities around Guelph. We've got 23 plants that are going to be looking for things to build in the future. If we don't plant those seeds now, there's going to be nothing to, to harvest, so to speak, two, three, five years from now when we need to backfill for some of these internal combustion components that may not be in production at these volumes anymore. Yep, and I would like to add, like Innovation Hub, it was established in 2020 when, right when COVID started. Oh, wow. So the motto of Innovation Hub, the reason Innovation Hub is established is because we want to diversify Linamar into different verticals. So Linamar has been into automotive since establishment, but right now we have our Vision 2100, where Linamar is trying to diversify into six key verticals, being mobility, where we are looking into last mile mobility, micro mobility, electronic vehicle, 
we have our infrastructure um, sector where we have Skyjack under it. We do have our presence in infrastructure, but we are within Innovation Hub and through Innovation Hub, we are trying to look for new innovation happening in infrastructure. We are also planning to diversify into food and agriculture technology. So we have Magdon under our umbrella and we have Salford under our umbrella who are looking into planting and harvesting. And we have our medical tech, med tech division, which was announced in 2022. And then we have our power and our water division. So through Innovation Hub, we are trying to diversify Linamar into all of these verticals where we are trying to scout for new innovation happening all around the globe and trying to see how we can leverage our capability to help them come into the market. So from automotive to food, like there, that's that's quite the broad sweep. It is, but all of these companies need that manufacturing prowess that we've developed over the last six decades. We have access to global supply chains where we can leverage our purchasing power to the benefit of our partners. Uh, we also know how to run the operations on a day-to-day. -day. A lot of our entrepreneurs and founders, they're really interested in developing cool technology. We're here to be the operational side of that where we figure out how to do it better, faster, cheaper, and allow them to focus on the next variation of what, what they want to build. How do they engineer the software? We're really on the hardware side of things, and we allow them to harness their creativity to develop the next great thing while we continue to generate revenue for them uh, and earn profits so that they can reinvest in themselves. That sounds amazing. What, so what can you tell us about some of the partners you're working with? So right now we have a very diverse uh, clientele. We are supporting all six key verticals that we are presenting as part of Vision 2100. Uh, we have some micro-mobility. We have even electrification of uh, marine applications. Looking at doing some pharmaceutical dispensing. Uh, we actually have the world's first recirculating shower in our building as well and we are working with some power electronics and we are still building some ventilators as part of our COVID support. Recirculating showers? What, what, what's that? So the recirculating shower, because we're in Guelph and we work very closely with the city of Guelph, uh, water conservation is a major issue, it seems everywhere but in Canada. We think that we have a natural resource that will never run out. And the way to run out of something is treat it as a renewable asset when it's really not. People from Europe, when they come in and hear about the recirculating shower, they're very excited about it. What it does is you're able to reuse your shower water. It's a personal shower, it's not for public use. Like not, it's not installed in our gym here. Okay. <laughs> um, but it allows you to reuse your own water up to six times, so it cuts your water consumption by 80%. And we've recently visited the city of Guelph and it said that the average Guelph resident uses 150 liters of water a day. If you take a 10 minute shower, that's about 100 liters of that 150. So to reduce that by 80% is a huge savings to the environment as well as the treatment facilities here in Guelph. Do you work often with the city of Guelph on various projects? Uh, we're trying to make that collaboration much closer because we are uh, firm proponents of think locally, act globally. Um, so if we can find a first customer here in Guelph, then there's always other municipalities that can also leverage that technology to their benefit. What's it been like working and operating in the city of Guelph over these years? 
So we've worked very closely with the city. Uh, obviously, it's always nice to see what their long-term planning looks like. On the innovation side, it helps us identify new technologies that we should be scouting for because there may be a local use case. Um, but we've always worked very closely with the city, trying to reduce uh, energy consumption, trying to uh, avoid sewer abatements, and trying to be a, a responsible corporate citizen. And plus, city also has a really a strategic plan to develop Guelph into, you know, uh, incorporating more innovative technology in terms of their infrastructure development. And that's where I believe, like we believe that we can play a very key role in terms of helping uh, innovative technology come out of the basement and be able to commercialize. That's awesome. So I understand manufacturing. I understand the big concepts like scale and things like that. We all know that, you know, automotive loves scale. So I'm a novice, and I, I apologize if this question is going to sound a little bit weird, but what's it? how has it been like for your staff, some of whom have been working for years on volume production, and I assume some of them have now are now over here working on the iHub. Can, is it safe to assume that you're not working at scale production volumes in the iHub? Yes, so a lot of our companies start out at, at low volumes, but it's a very interesting story, and I'm glad that you asked that question, how we got started. Uh, like Samila said, we opened in March of 2020, so we're trying to open up as the world is trying to close down, and all of a sudden we have a, a knock on our door and somebody says, we need to build ventilators, and we need to build high quantities of them. So we solicited the plants, we brought in people that have been on the lines for decades to build ventilators, something they've never built. They, this is a medical device, not an automotive component, but they had a lot of skills and abilities that we were able to retrain them, put together processes, and start making ventilators at volume before anybody else in the world could pivot. And this also happened in our plants where we redeployed existing assets to make ventilator components. And over the course of COVID, we made over a million ventilator components from the existing facilities, as well as you know, hundreds, if not thousands of ventilators from the iHub. And that's just the, a testament to our staff and their willingness to, to jump in and take ownership of things and, and uh, really establish themselves as capable to learn new things. And some of those folks that started with the ventilators on day one just never left. They're still here building new things and, and using their talents in other ways than building automotive components. That's very cool. Has it been a bit of a cultural shift for some of these employees? It is very different. We talked about high volume manufacturing and, and automotive loves volume. Here we're in that low volume, high mix mentality where we have a lot of different partners, none of which are at scale yet, but are growing. And our staff is able to build you know, a low speed utility vehicle one day and then shift and build the ventilator and then build a recirculating shower. So they're very versatile and they're very agile. They're happy to be doing new things each and every day. And that's where we also like to call Innovation Hub as a launch pad, because whenever we are partnering up with especially startup and scale-up company, because they are the one who are bringing in new innovation out in the world, right? So when we are partnering up with them, we are learning a lot of different skill sets within Innovation Hub, and we are helping them to, we are working as a launch pad to help them come into the market. And simultaneously, we are also retraining our workforce in terms of new skill sets to be learned that can be required in the future in manufacturing world. So I am not an entrepreneur. I am not an inventor. 
Brendan, I don't think you are either, right? No, okay. So explain to us some of the challenges that your that the partners that come in here are facing. What, is, what are the challenges of getting a great idea off the ground? Yeah, there are a lot of challenges. So the first thing is we see a lot of innovation. We talk to a lot of different company out there. They don't know what it takes to scale up their production volume. They have been producing within their, they are doing in-house manufacturing and they have been producing in a low scale, but they do have plan to scale it up and take it to 1,000 to 2,000 unit, but they really don't know how that is done. So that is where we are trying to step in and we are trying to help them. Okay, you have a great design, but it may not be visible for large scale manufacturing. And that's where we have been able to use our design experience and skill set that we have gained from past 60 years to help them redesign their unit. I assume Industry 4.0 obviously plays a big part in that. Uh, we At the Innovation Hub, we also have a, a staff that's dedicated to implementing uh, Industry 4.0 in our, in our existing plants. Another gap that we do face is we're very specific in what we're looking for. We're looking for hardware and hard tech. We go into a room knowing that 90% of the people in there are doing software because there's a lot of support for software. Software is relatively cheap to develop and launch and test, but when you're working on hardware, you are talking about tooling. You are talking about some major expenses to get a product to market. And what our clients sometimes lack is that funding or that willingness to fund from some of the VCs and other areas where they see risk in the hard tech. Doesn't mean that it's bad, they just see risk and they are not incentivized to take on risk when it comes to hardware. Everybody likes software, you can scale it very quickly. Hardware kind of gets a bad rap because it's expensive, it's difficult to do, but that's where we like to play. We've always been a product company. We've always built things. Linamar as a whole manufactures 16 things every second. And we're trying to grow that number. That's a cool statistic. 16 things a second. So that could be a camshaft. It could be a corn header. It could be a tillage machine. There's a variety of things. A scissor lift. Scissor lift. Thank you. So food. I mean, innovations in food sounds delicious. What, uh, what what sorts of things are you working on uh, for food innovation? Okay, so under food, like we do already have our presence as a Linamar. We do have Magdon who are manufacturing corn header and we do have Salford who are uh, manufacturing equipments for planting and precision agriculture. So when we see a food industry, we can see a lot of autonomous robotic technology being invented and coming out in the market. Has that agricultural vertical brought you new partnerships, new thinking, new ideas that kind of broke the mold of the automotive side? It has because in agriculture, people don't give it enough credit. There's actually a lot of technology that goes into it. You just, you can't see it when you're driving down the road past the field. It allowed us to do what we're best at, which is make things. There's a lot of metal in those, and that's something that we do every day, but it gave us a new market to serve. And, and from that, we've learned some lessons that we've reapplied back to our existing business. Uh, with the global population surging, we need those breakthroughs to become more efficient, increase yields. How do we feed that growing population without acquiring more space? Because there's houses going everywhere these days, and we're you're using that land up that you need to use it more efficiently to take care of more people with less property. 
we're seeing a shift away from what we have long known traditionally as the automotive industry into whether it's automobility, micromobility, or mobility generally. Where does Linamar fit in? Where does the iHub fit in? And what are your general thoughts on that transition, where we are and where we're going? So with 60 years in the automotive market, the iHub is actually here with mobility as one of our key verticals where we are exploring those new trends. You're going to see a lot more purpose-built vehicles for last mile delivery. We're seeing powertrains shift from internal combustion. There's a big focus right now on electrification. Longer term, we see hydrogen also coming in there, whether it's combustion or fuel cell. But it's a very interesting place to play right now. There's a lot of innovation going on around the world, and people are tackling this differently where they're located. Uh, But that's why we're here is we know that there's a shift in the market why wait 15 years to pivot and do something new? Why not start now and start to grow new verticals in the organization and be a first mover while we continue to build internal combustion components? We can still be doing other things with our existing facilities. And we really know how to manufacture things because we have been doing that since our establishment. So though the there is going to be a shift uh, in mobility sector from internal combustion to EV vehicle or hydrogen vehicle, we can always use the skill sets that we have, that we have learned from past in the upcoming new technology and upcoming new innovations. That's awesome. Because, yeah, we just did an episode where we talked with uh, Stephen McKenzie about automobility and yeah that that uh, and, and the whole Windsor shift and I mean yeah that's that's fertile ground eh, speaking of agriculture <laughs> but yeah no that that's that that sounds great we've noticed that manufacturers tend to have uh, very close relationships with the the cities and towns in which they operate I it's, it's, it sounds to me like you Linamar and the city of Guelph have a similar relationship Yes, uh, we have a very close relationship because we are you know, a large population here in Guelph, not only with the plants that we have, but also the people that we employ. A lot of them live here in the Guelph region. Um, but we also have good partnerships with uh, University of Guelph so that we have access there. We talked before with the workplace development, uh, a lot of engineers coming out of there, master's students. So we utilize them quite a bit. Um, But that also extends to London. Uh, Linda is the chancellor uh, at University of Western Ontario. So we work closely with their business students, um, engineering students. But that's one of the benefits of being in this area is that access to the academic institutions, not only from the labor side, but also from the academics and innovation side. Uh, They're always coming up with new ideas. uh, So they're a good resource to talk to about early stage technologies. Yep, and having said that, like all of the research and innovation, they happen within universities, right? So with our tie with University of Guelph and University and Western University, it has given us a really good exposure in terms of what are the trends happening in all the six verticals that we are working on right now. In working with these partners, have they taught you anything? So for Samil and I, every day is like a new adventure. You never know what you're going to find, who you're going to talk to. We see a lot of new and interesting approaches to old problems. Um, some can be completely off the wall. You know, we've had others that they're very novel. It's like, why did nobody else think of doing it this way? Um, so we're learning every day, which is great for, an, for our organization who's centered around innovation. We have to be inspired by those companies. 
we've also learned that you know you can't always trust financial projections and time to market because typically these things take longer than anybody anticipates so that's one thing where we have to buffer expectations and growth and you know we are we're good to focus on small batch builds here because if you want to get it right you need to it's a it's an iterative approach you build a few you build a few more and then you build a lot yeah and for me the interesting thing whenever i talk to startup or scale-up company is that there has been process that has been going on for decades and no one thought that that can be changed but when we talk to them they are coming up with new processes new equipment where it can increase the efficiency of the current existing technology so it'll be like why no one thought about it and then yeah that's a very interesting thing whenever we talk to a company so what were you guys working on before we showed up oh there is a lot going on there is a lot of things that we were talking about anything you can share so we looked at autonomous weeding robotic we have been looking into electrolyzer we have been looking into a lot of different things we have been looking into drones Autonomous weeding robots? Wow. Does this diversity of, you know, of the verticals and of the products or potential products within the verticals, I mean, is this key to keeping people engaged and excited in manufacturing? Well, it definitely keeps us engaged. And I think we surprise a lot of people when we show them the variety of things that we look at on a weekly basis. The nice thing with the Vision 2100 is we have the ability to look anywhere. It's hard to disqualify anything when you're looking at mobility, industrial, agriculture, med tech, power and water. There's not many things that fall outside of that. So we have a lot of leeway to, to investigate things that we find interesting, that we think have market potential. And we try and keep our funnel full of these companies that, you know, they may not be ready tomorrow, but two or three years from now, they know to call Linamar and they know where to come to get that support when they're ready to commercialize. And our Vision 2100 does not allow us to exclude any kind of innovation because we are so diverse in terms of our vision that one way or other way, it is connected. Have we explained what Vision 2100 is on these mics? Because I know we were talked about it before we turned on the microphones. But I think for the benefit of the people who weren't here before we turn the microphones on, tell us about Vision 2100. So the Vision 2100, that's the company that we want to be when the year 2100 rolls around. So this is our 100-year plan on how do we diversify Linamar, serve markets outside of automotive. So you won't hear many companies that have that 100-year plan. I don't think I've heard of any companies that have a 100-year plan. That's impressive. Yeah, we have around 80 years to work on Vision 2100 now. Well, you guys are better get on that. <laughs> yep. Well, one, one of the projects we're working on this year is whether it's going to be writing our own or contributing to others' manufacturing strategies for Ontario. In speaking with you today, in speaking with some other partners, uh, other manufacturing partners, uh, in the recent past, you know, they've identified, you know, good companies have a strategy. So it's nice to fit in with a strategy in uh, a certain jurisdiction, but don't forget for a minute that the company also has a strategy. For a company that maybe doesn't have a strategy or maybe isn't quite clear on what that is, how important is it? whether it's as a lighthouse, as a beacon, as a guiding light, how important is it for, um, you know, from Linda down to the folks on the shop floor, 
for that company to have uh, a long-term strategy, whether it's 2030, whether it's 2050, or whether it's 2100, or whether, whether it's 3000. Yeah, so being in the automotive industry right now, it's very dynamic. We probably haven't seen this much change um, in the automotive in the last 30 years as we've seen in the last three. It's easy for the you know our staff to be distracted because everybody talks about the demise of the internal combustion engine. If you didn't have that guiding light, you know, what are you shooting for and how do you keep up the optimism of your staff to know that you're not going out of business when they stop making internal combustion engines? Right now, we're attracting a lot of new business wins in electrified vehicles or hybrids. But even beyond that, we're starting to look at fuel cells and, and hydrogen storage and getting ready for that shift beyond batteries. So it, it really helps keep people engaged and know that we are actively making our own future. We're not just waiting for it to happen to us. We're going out and creating it. And that's what's really inspiring for us is we're part of that evolution and we're, we're really leading that pursuit. So talking about the verticals, would the iHub have been possible 15, 20 years ago? We've always had a sense of diversification. So when you say 20 years ago, so we acquired Skyjack about 20 years ago. So that was probably the first thing that you would consider in, in innovation is how do you how do you get into a parallel market where you can build something that's pretty close to automotive, it's in the industrial space. But we've always had that history of trying to diversify we just weren't thinking as broadly as we do now by identifying these mega trends in food and water and how do we generate power. All of these things have been highlighted in the past few years, uh, even back to COVID. How do we take care of people that get sick? So med tech being the way that we're able to care for an aging population, food and ag, how do we feed that growing population, power, how do we generate power using sustainable and renewable resources? And then in water, if it's a, you know, it's not an infinite resource, how do we take care of that? How do we make sure that we're putting it back better than we take it out of the ground? Uh, it's a, it's a very ambitious strategy that we're undertaking now. And I think we were capable 20 years ago. We maybe just didn't have the vision to enact it on this scale. I should have started with this question, but we kind of got right into it as soon as we started here. Tell us about your professional path to where you got to today. I always find that interesting about the guests. How did you get to this seat? So... Uh, my study background is I'm a biotechnologist who turned into an environmental engineer. And I had been doing a lot of lab research earlier. I was into a lot of different kind of research and filing IP. But I was filing IP. I did not see where it is being commercialized because I was in that four wall wearing that white coat. And I was just using my pipette to do research. But where is it being utilized? So that's where I decided that I need to come out of those four wall and try to get into an innovation field where I can see and I can help these research to come out of lab and be useful in the market and be commercialized. So that's where I met Brett and then yeah that's where the whole journey started. So your background is biology and 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 science and and research and cutting it and you're here at that's incredible. You scored well then. You got uh, you got a great... Uh... We're always looking for diversity in everything we do. So having a nice mix of the academic background, especially in the environmental and, and medical side, uh, really helps us complement each other's skills because on the opposite side, you know, I went to tool and die making school at Conestoga College. I graduated in 2008 
when there wasn't a lot of automotive jobs to be had. So I started working in a foundry, did night school to get my business degree, and then got an MBA from there. So I've kind of built my own micro credentials along the way, and then worked at the plants as an engineering manager. And then over here is the director of innovation, where, you know, understanding how things are built and how they can be made allows us to, to scout and find interesting things that we're capable to produce. Yeah, and it has been a great mix because he, Brett has a really good experience in terms of manufacturing and then in terms of business side, whereas I can bring in the experience from the research side and seeing the technology, whether they can happen, they can be commercialized or not. So it has been a great mix and a great teamwork. So what's it, how, what's it been like shifting from the lab to, actually, I guess this is kind of a lab too now. It is like... <laughs> So you brought the lab with you. I can't say that. <laughs> no, that's that that's a that's a great. I like that story a lot. It's 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 because I mean, we, we, I like learning about pathways to jobs in manufacturing. And uh, if there's one thing I've learned, it's that it's there is no one path. You graduated in 2008, trying to find work in the automotive sector, which was fun. Lots of fun as a new grad. Uh, in a field where that was probably the number one cuts was tool and die making. There, there was no more, there was no dies to maintain or build because everything had gone to China as well at that point. Uh, so it was interesting to get out there and I was, I was working, uh, to develop a new process at a foundry. So I've always kind of dabbled in innovation and, and R and D. It's just nice to do it at this commercial scale where we can carry it right through until the end and, and work with new partners every day to find new technologies that may, you know, one day save the world or it's just really motivating to get out there and meet everybody. Now that the COVID restrictions have been lifted, there's a lot of interesting folks that we've met over the past two years. So, uh, Sumila, Brett, what would be the one thing that you would want aspiring startup manufacturers, small manufacturers that are looking to scale up to know about the iHub and what's on offer at the iHub? I know for the most part, we want them just to know that we're here. Uh, that, that can be probably the most difficult part of the, the job is finding companies that are interested to talk with us. A lot of our business comes from referrals and word of mouth. So, you know, we may be a great manufacturing firm, but we're not great marketers. So doing podcasts like this, getting out and meeting people, uh, we've got our LinkedIn profile, but generating the attention that, that we're here and we're ready to work with, with startups is really the most difficult part. I think the perception can be that we're a large multinational company and we're not interested in those startups, but we most certainly are. And if they're interested in making it in Ontario, they should call us. hey <laughs> And then apart from that, whenever there is a startup or scale-up company, they are facing a lot of supply chain issue where Linamar can play a really big role for them to come in the market and be more market adaptable. That's a good point. I think a lot of companies would look at a company, a lot of startups would look at a company like Linamar and say, ah, they don't want to talk to me. But you're saying you do. Uh, we most certainly do. And it's that hardware focus, you know, our scope here is we're looking for later stage TRLs, technology readiness level. We don't stay away from engaging with people at, at lower TRLs because it's important. They know who we are, what we can do for them. Uh, we're always looking for complexity in what we do. 
Uh, we used to have a saying that you know we're looking for things that are more complex than a cell phone and smaller than a round bale, but we had to make that bigger. Uh, now it's you know larger than a cell phone, smaller than a school bus because we've been engaging with an autonomous robotic kitchen company that it's the size of a shipping container. So you know as we've settled into our space, our ambitions have also grown. So Linamar could help you build an autonomous kitchen. Cool. Yeah. And it, it's the, the commercial scale. So, you know, everybody's facing labor shortages these days and, and having basically an autonomous kitchen, you know, alleviate some of that. And uh, I think we're going to see more of that automation hit the service industry over the next few years as they struggle to find employees. They're going to invest in technology. I can speak from experience. I, I went to a sushi restaurant with my parents and was served the, the dishes by a robot. And with the instructions, take your food. It's on tray number two. Thank you very much. And then it goes back to the kitchen. Brett, Samila, what instructions do you have for Brendan and myself when we are out talking with companies who might be startups? Because we do talk to a bunch of them. And I mean, if we're there, what would you like them to know that we can repeat? Call Linamar. We can help with supply chains, building those resilient supply chains and helping to reduce costs when it goes into manufacturing. Typically the startup issues are their, the initial batches, they're, they're too high. It's hard to attract customers if your prices are too high. We can help reduce that through design for manufacture, design for assembly, and utilizing our global supply chain to help bring those, those bill of material costs down to a reasonable level. If you want to be market adaptable, then do remember Linamar Innovation Hub. There's a slogan. This is my last question. It's April when we're recording. This will probably get published in May, but it's April right now. Sun's out. Snow tires are coming off. What are each of you most excited about for the rest of 2023? I can't say about rest of 2023, but for the spring, I'm happy that we don't have any snow. Indeed. Uh, I'm just looking forward to getting out on the golf course for the first time this year without the threat of rain or snow. Are you bringing any innovations to your swing? My swing is very innovative. If you want to see <laughs> an agile golf game, uh, you should ride in the cart with me because you see a lot of the course that you would never see. <laughs> Have you ever hit a ball out of somebody's flower bed? Um, wow. You know, I'm not too worried about the condition of the fairway. I'd very rarely see it. I wonder if there is any autonomous golf club discovered anywhere around the world. Mm. <laughs> we never know. Hey, if anyone's listening to this and wants to build an autonomous golf, yeah. you want to watch a robot get frustrated, try to teach it to play golf. <laughs> uh, well, everyone, Brett, Samila, Brennan, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for letting us in here. Thank you for your time on the microphones and we will be happy to stick past as many companies your way as possible. All right, we appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.